Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love for us and uh, speak to us now wherever we are on our spiritual journeys. Amen. Here's a question for you this Easter Sunday. How many of you have ever seen a person die, not like dead, gone to the funeral, they're dead, and then a couple of days later gone, whoa, they're alive again. Has anyone actually ever experienced a physical resurrection in their lives? Can I see a hand? No hands? No hands? Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Uh, Here's, and I say it's interesting because uh, all of Christianity hangs on the claim that this is actually what happened. That there was this guy, Jesus, and there's a lot of historical data to support his existence and, and the fact that he was crucified and and then he died, and then he, the Bible and Christians for 2,000 years, he claimed he's risen again. And maybe you're sitting here going, yeah, I'm just not so sure, because I've not experienced that. And you're right. You're right to be not so sure, because like none of us have actually experienced that. It's quite hard to believe, in fact, isn't it? And maybe sometimes, I don't know where you are on the religious spectrum, um, maybe sometimes you've, you've heard Christians or your religious friend saying to you, making it seem like it's really easy to believe in the resurrection. Here's all the evidence, and if you just believe, it's simple, and you should believe, and there's something wrong with you if you don't, right? And you go, no, no, actually, that's really not the case. It's actually quite hard to believe. So I'm very glad you're here, and for the next 15 minutes or so, we're going to think together about, well, it is hard to believe. Why is it hard to believe? And how then might we find a way to actually assess its truth and come to believe if that's where we want to end up. So uh, let's start off with um, why it's hard to believe. Have a look at, I don't know why that's not working. Have a look at um, verse one here, uh, the the first verse here. Uh, Here are these followers of Jesus, right? Now what you've got to know about them is they had, they'd been living with Jesus for like three years, up close, And Jesus had been telling them in advance of his death, they'd say, listen, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, yes, yes, great. He says, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. And they were like, "Uh, no, you're not. But Jesus was like, yes, I will. And they're like, really? No, I'm not so sure about it. So they'd had personal instruction up close, preparing them for this event. And what is their response when it happens? Well, they don't believe it. They leave Jerusalem, they're dismayed, they're talking about it, they're scratching their heads, they're going, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. And in fact, they've even had women come to them and say, listen, everything that Jesus promised, like he'd rise again, this has happened, we've seen him, and they were still like, no, no, we don't believe it, no, 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 that doesn't happen. And that's really encouraging for me. How so? Well, because listen, if they struggle to believe the resurrection to be true, it's okay for me to struggle. It's okay for you to struggle. Because sometimes this is what we think, don't we? We go, oh, well, uh, those early Christians, those people who lived back then, they were primitive, so it was easy for them to believe. But you and I, we're sophisticated now. We've got, you know, science, the enlightenment, the internet, Google. Like, how can you believe, you know, actually... Actually, we seem to believe almost anything, but, you know, that aside, actually, when it applies to religion, we, we think, no, 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 they were, they were naive, easy to believe. We, on the other hand, are, um, 
we're skeptical and we know dead people stay dead. I want to suggest to you, human beings, for the entirety of their existence, have always known that dead people stay dead. They didn't, it's not, there's never been a group of people anywhere in the world who've been so naive that they've gone around going, oh, we believe dead people pop up to life all the time. Do you know why no one's ever believed that? Because it doesn't happen. It's like, it just doesn't happen. And they knew this didn't happen, and they are dismayed, and they leave, and they're like, oh my goodness, the world is coming to an end. Uh, They understand it. They get it. It's tricky, right? Uh, But they... Let's do a little philosophical, just a little excursus here. The fact that an event doesn't occur regularly enough for each of us to have experienced it doesn't mean that it philosophically couldn't have occurred once. Is that right? The fact that something has occurred once doesn't mean that, you know, because it doesn't occur all the time, it didn't actually happen. Let me give you an example of this just to make it clear. Uh, the world, there was, there's one event that's unique in all of the history of created reality. What is that? Well, creation, the start of it, the Big Bang, the kaboom, the whatever, however you want to think of it, or as the Bible talks about it, when God created it, that happened once. Do we all believe that it happened? Yeah. Have we experienced it? Were we there? No. But we live in the light of it and with the ongoing consequences of it, and that changes our lives. But we have to, as it were, take by faith the fact that it actually all started at some point. And actually the Bible says the resurrection of Jesus is is that kind of an event. The the way Christianity describes it, it says that in the same way that, that the Bible says there's a personal God who made the world, unique event, never to be repeated, In Jesus Christ, he raised this man, Jesus, from the dead in a unique event where the Bible actually describes it like a second creation. The same power that created the world now brings this Jesus back to life. And, and of course, it says, as the Bible goes on, it says you and I can participate in that, but that's a once-off event that was this world-changing event. And so, yeah, you and I don't experience that all the time. The disciples didn't. But nevertheless, it happened, so the Bible claims. And in the same way that we live in the light of a creation which we believe by faith, we are invited to live in the light of the new creation, the recreation, the resurrection, even though we believe it by faith because we don't experience these sorts of things all the time. That said, Jesus <laughs> draws up alongside these people, and now wouldn't that be neat? And, uh, and you'd think that would solve it, wouldn't it? You'd go, wow, now I've seen him. Ah, that'd be cool. Hey, don't you reckon if Jesus just popped up next to you, it'd solve all the questions of doubt and faith you might have? Well, maybe, except there's this fascinating verse in here, and... Uh, I don't know if you see it there. There's a really peculiar, perplexing verse uh, in verse 16. Can you see it? What do you think? But they were kept from recognizing him. What do you think that's doing in the story? 
I'll be honest, I actually have no real idea. I, I, I don't know what kept them. Who knows? I, I, it's very hard to understand in the original context exactly what the writer there is, is getting, is, is on about it. So, so here's my best guess, and I think it's similar things that kept them from recognizing him uh, that will keep us from recognizing Jesus and recognizing the truth of his resurrection, right? So what sort of things would have kept them from recognizing Jesus? Well, the power of their previous experiences or the power of their preconceptions, the power of their existing worldviews. Dead people stay dead, so whatever you are, you can't possibly be Jesus because we saw you die. And those preconceptions keep us from recognizing Jesus as they kept these disciples from recognizing him. Very powerful. Uh, I'll give you a philosophical description, uh, a little uh, uh, excursus, another one to describe what might keep us from recognizing the truth of Christianity. And that is we live as Peter Kreeft, a professor of philosophy from Harvard, says, we live in a nothing buttery world. Okay, we live in a nothing buttery world. So what's a nothing buttery world? A nothing buttery world is a world where there's nothing but the material or the physical There's nothing but what you can see, taste, touch, uh, smell, and feel. Love is nothing but a neurochemical neurochemical reaction designed to trick you into uh, propagating your genetic material, right? Um, uh, Art is nothing but bits of color on a, on a, or, or shapes that are in the end nothing but, again, uh, neurotransmitters firing up certain neurons in our brain to create this experience of art. It's nothing but the material. Uh, peace is nothing but uh, negotiated power. Hope is nothing but a fantasy to help us uh, live with the brutal reality of life and our own mortality and the fact we're all just decaying and we're nearly dead. Really, I mean, so a nothing buttery world, that's the world we're in. And in a nothing buttery world, even it's very hard to believe in something more, and there's nothing more than the eruption to our world of a God from beyond who breaks apart all the nothing buttery rules that govern our life. So the resurrection is like a black hole. I don't know if you saw in the papers, there was this, you know, they've just uh, had an algorithm to map a, an image, a black hole. It's a black hole is this place where a sort of extraordinary amount of matter comes together in a, like a, in a zero space. Uh, and one physicist said, um, black holes are where maths goes to die. Because the rules as we know it of, of matter and energy and time and space simply don't seem to work in a black hole. It's like you go, wow, this, everything we thought about doesn't work right here, right? But it's real. I think of the resurrection a bit like that. I think of the whole story of Jesus. In our nothing buttery world, here's an event where the laws of the nothing buttery world go to die. Because it just doesn't work. Like dead people stay dead, except this one dead person who came to life. And, and that's hard for us to get our heads around uh, And that can keep us from recognizing Jesus. Here's another thing that can keep us from recognizing Jesus, not just intellectual constructs, uh, but our hearts, our fears, right? Like, I don't know about you. If 
I think sometimes we're scared to recognize Jesus as God. Because if we recognize Jesus as God, we recognize there's a God, which means we recognize that we're not gods, which means we recognize that we're not in control, and we recognize we can't just choose whatever we want to do with our lives. And that's scary, right? Like actually handing over control, surrendering to somebody is terrifying. I mean, we... But it, paradoxically, we also yearn for it, don't we? We long to actually know we're not alone. We long for there to be a reliable, trustworthy, powerful, good being who will look after us and care for us. But we're also scared that that being might exist because if the being exists, then I'm not God. Now, I know none of you have a problem with me not being God. That's because you think you're God. And that's okay. We all live like little gods and then suddenly, no, no, no. And we're scared that if we recognize God and we allow him into our lives, he might ask us to do really difficult things. Don't you reckon? Like, he might ask you to, I don't know, be a missionary to deepest, darkest Africa. Go somewhere like Cape Town, you can have, you know, water views from Clifton on the banks of Table Mountain. I mean, you know, that's deepest, so it's a silly thing. But you know what I mean? Like, God's going to ask me to do something terrible and hard. It's going to make me miserable. God might ask me to forgive my partner of 20 years who betrayed me and left me and I've harbored bitterness in my life all my life. Now, if I come to God, I know, I know Christians do this forgiveness thing. So maybe like I just can't come to, I can't recognize Jesus because he might ask me to forgive this complete loser who's hurt me so deeply. And yeah, he might ask you to do that, right? He might ask you to do things like give some of your money away. Now, you don't want to do that. That's like crazy business. But you know, Christians, I mean, you know, that's maybe why you've never come to church and you're here now and you're thinking, oh, here we go. Christians are always on about money. I always just want my money. No, no, I don't want your money. Well, let me think. No, hang on. No, I really don't. (laughs) We're scared, right? That God's going to make us miserable. And I get that. These things keep us from Jesus. Maybe I think sometimes just our busyness. And isn't it wonderful that you've carved out an hour and 15 minutes of a Sunday to come once a year to... Or, or even if you come every week, to come and spend some time thinking. Because actually our busyness, this frantic treadmill we're on, can keep us from recognizing what's ultimately important in life. So if that's why it's hard, how do you come to believe? <laughs> how do any of us have faith in Jesus? How do we connect with God? Well, uh, here's some pointers in this direction. And, and we can't can't cover everything but um, Jesus says the, the place to start I don't know why this is not working is, uh, is the Bible he uh, sits down with them as they're walking along he says to them how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have said and I'm, here we go. And uh, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, which is the book of Genesis, the really start of the Bible, beginning with Moses, 
and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. So how do you come to know who Jesus was? Well, you read the Bible. I mean, that's, those, those are the source documents. You want to understand? That's when Jesus wanted to help people like you and I come to understand the truth of his resurrection and his life-changing reality. He started with the Bible. He said, here's the story. And, and so it's a fantastic story. And he started right at the beginning. And he went all the way through and he said, there's just so everything in the Bible points to Jesus and elucidates Jesus and explains Jesus. So you've got to start there. Now that's hard, isn't it, at times? Because the Bible is a weird book. It's an old book. Like it's 2,000 years old at least. Actually, probably, you know, that's the New Testament. The Old Testament was written 3,000 years ago in, in a very different language and culture. So, uh, so it can be tricky to understand the Bible. But you, but you know, the beauty of the Bible is it's been translated into contemporary English. So just start. Find a Bible in contemporary English and read it. Start with one of the Gospels, the stories like we're reading here that tell us about Jesus and come to it with an open heart and a mind and say, deal with my fears, deal with my preconceptions and Jesus, help me, help me make sense of this, right? And come to church, by the way, because this is what we try and do as a community. We try week by week and in our lives to, to get to know and connect with God as we find him revealed to us in the Bible. And we take our questions and our struggles honestly and we don't pretend and there's no, you know, you've got to believe, you've got to have 100% faith, we're not a cult, we're, but, but we're saying, actually, here is this Jesus and we can get to know him in the story of the Bible. So, so, so it's wonderful that you're here. Um, that's why uh, we, we do a course called Alpha. It's a wonderful 10-week course. It's an introduction to the Christian faith. We're in a small group. You can kind of ask your questions and think about the story of who Jesus is and come to a position on that in a, in a very uh, friendly and non-threatening environment where your questions are taken seriously. So you start with the Bible, and that's what Jesus did. So I figure if that's the starting the way Jesus deals with us, well, we probably should as well. Um, you might though say to yourself, hang on, but the Bible's not that reliable. I've got all these questions about the Bible. Just a, a thought. I don't know if any of you saw Greg Sheridan's article in the Weekend Australian on uh, the truth of the resurrection. Uh, no Australian readers here. Okay. Maybe if you'd been published in The Guardian, uh, that uh, would have got more of a read or BuzzFeed or uh, Insta, Insta... No, no. Okay, not an Insta generation. Um, so uh, go, go Google Greg Sheridan, the Australian, uh, on the Weekend Australian. He has a phenomenal little article just outlining the historical reliability of the New Testament documents and the historical reliability of the claims of those documents for the resurrection. It's, it's well worth a read and uh, find a way around the paywall or friend me on Facebook and I can find a way to share it with you. Um, it's worth a read. So you read the Bible, but then the second thing is it, it to get to connect with God, it actually takes time, doesn't it? Like when I, one of the things, Jesus hung out with these guys and took time to address their questions. It just takes time. Like you don't go from, I know nothing and I'm skeptical about Jesus to, yeah, I'm going to follow him with all of my life and surrender to him. You don't, you don't get there just like that. It, it actually, it takes time. So give it the time that it takes. Like really important stuff in life, you want to invest time in. So um, here's why a show like Married at First Sight is really stupid. Who on earth would ever choose to marry someone the first time you see them? 
uh, unless you're in a culture that does arranged marriages, in which case your parents have done all the due diligence and it's fine. And actually, I think they've got a pretty good success rate in those cultures. So I'm not having a go at that. But in our culture, married at first sight, walk into a room, cameras everywhere, look at this person, go, yeah, I'm going to spend the rest of my life loving you, forsaking all others, caring for you. Uh, uh, are you crazy? What sort of a... What sort of a weird... Like, that's, you know, we don't make decisions. Well, if you make decisions, major decisions in your life on the spur of the moment, you're nuts. I mean, any success you have is going to be pure chance. So what do we do when it comes to making really important decisions? We give it the time. You, you, you're going to choose to marry someone? Give it some time. Somewhere between married at first sight and cohabiting for 30 years to make sure that you can, you, you can you know, get together and successfully negotiate every little thing in life. You know, and only then you could marry. No, somewhere, no like maybe, maybe like, gosh, six months even. Bit of due diligence. Give it time. You're going to buy a house. Don't buy a house on the spur. You don't do it on the spur. Don't you get a building and pest report. You, you, you figure out, you know, oh, I'm right under a flight path. You go back and visit not just on a Sunday afternoon, but you go back and you visit, you know, peak hour. Oh, there's like 30,000 cars going past that weren't here on a Sunday. Give it time with any big decision. Same with God. So it's wonderful that you're giving it this time, and, uh, and it's a great start. And it takes time, like any relationship, like anything that's important. And Jesus, uh, what I love with this... Jesus was really, really willing to give his time to them. And here's what you'll discover, I think. You'll discover that God is very, very willing to give you his time to walk with you gently, starting with where you are, to address your concerns and questions, to bring you to a place where you can actually know him. God's very good that way. We see that in Jesus. And then, uh, the final thing, though, which is fascinating for me, is uh, you need a personal encounter. After you've done all your research, you've done all your thinking, you've read the Bible, you've given it time, in the end, you have to actually meet Jesus. And, and, and that's what these guys did. Uh, they, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. There was something that happened in that moment where they went, yeah, okay, it goes from a set of ideas, from questions and Bible study and discussion to, wow, I see, I get it. I have an encounter. And that happens to us at different rates and in different ways. So the women had the first encounter, right? If you, if you know the story, it was the women who went to the empty tomb and saw Jesus there and they had the encounter and they were, whoa, yeah, I get it, it's Jesus. Woo-hoo. Went back and no one believed him. Funny that. Uh, no one believed him. When you read the Bible, in the end, everyone, has an encou- everyone who comes to faith has an unforgettable, unmistakable encounter with Jesus. Where it goes from just ideas to your heart. It travels from here to here. And you know. And you commit. And you're all in. And it's, it's not rational. We're in the realm of the mystic here. For sure. 
and there's no formulas to get you there. I wish I could. I wish I could say, well, you know, if you come to church and you do X, Y, and Z, then boom, it's all going to be brilliant and amazing. But what I can promise you is this. The God of the Bible, who we see in Jesus Christ, wants to be found by you, wants to be known by you, and he promises us that if you seek him, you'll find him. But you need to get to that place of encounter. And you'll know it when you've had it, and if you haven't had it, it's because you haven't had it. And that means you're missing out on knowing God. It can be amazing and overwhelming emotionally, or it can be just very quiet. But you'll know. I still remember with extraordinary clarity if, as a 15-year-old, um, growing up in a Jewish, uh, back, with Jewish and Catholic background, not being religious at all, very cynical, very skeptical, white African in lots of, lots of craziness and chaos. But after years of thinking about this and exploring faith, uh, one night in May 1985, I had an encounter with Jesus. And I can remember it as vividly as if it happened five minutes ago. And all the thinking and the ideas, all of that came together when a, a man up the front said to me, you need, I was at this big meeting and he said, you need to ask Jesus into your life and you need to commit yourself to him. You need to be born again. And I said, this is just crazy. And I was scared. And I was scared because I thought, what if I, asked, what if I come to Jesus and I ask him to come into my life and I ask for this encounter and nothing happens? And we were in a big auditorium and there were three sections. And, uh, and he, went, he went to this section. He said, first, anyone in this section, if, if tonight you want an encounter with God, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, stand up and come down the front. And I was in the middle section and I was sitting there going, I think I want this, but I'm scared. My mind was racing. My heart was beating. And then he said, come to the middle section. He said, those of you in this section, if you want to have an encounter with God tonight, then you come down the front. And I sat there and I thought, oh, I just can't. Oh, I was sitting next to one of my friends. We'd come to this event because his sister was singing in the choir and she was really cute. And I was kind of, you know, he's a 15-year-old boy at a big boys' school. Let me say no more. So, uh, and we're very cynical about religion. And I was like, I can't. What if I, and I, I'm with my friend. And I'll be embarrassed and it'll be weird and maybe nothing will happen. And then he said, and then he moved on to this. And he said, those of you in this section over here. And I remember saying to God, said, God, if you're there, if I ever get a chance to follow you again, please give me the courage to say yes. And no sooner as I said that than the preacher goes, and now here's the last chance for anyone in the audience if they want to follow Jesus, come forward. And I shot out of that chair and the experience of, of God I was bawling of love, just of acceptance, of forgiveness. This encounter with Jesus who met me shooting out of my seat in a theater in Cape Town as a messed up Jewish South African. I said, yes. You know, changed everything, right? Never had a doubt, never had a doubt that that was real. Now, I have other doubts, like metaphysically, does God exist, which is weird, but my experience of Jesus, never, and that's made sense of everything else for me. So today, this Easter, are you open to an encounter with Jesus, right? Actually say, yeah, I want that. I want, I want what the disciples had. I want what the, the, the women at the, 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 the empty tomb had. I want, I want Jesus involved in my life. I want to know that it's true. You know, he's here. He wants 
to be known by us. Don't put it off, right? It's wonderful. Don't, don't like do business with Jesus today. Don't leave here. You know. That said, you may need more time, and that's okay as well. But don't just put it off because you're scared, because there's nothing to be scared of. And don't put it off because you're lazy, and because there's no time like now. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and uh, I'm going to leave, and then we're going to share in communion, and uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, uh, ha- to, to ask Jesus into your life afresh and uh, to surrender to him and maybe even just maybe even to start further back and ask him to start to reveal himself to you if you've never thought in this way before. So let's take a moment to pray. Lord God, we thank you that you, uh, you want to be known by us Uh, There are many things, however, that keep us from recognizing you. So this morning, help dismantle some of those. Maybe our intellectual questions and struggles, maybe our fears. Maybe you want to say something to Jesus that goes something like this. Just say, and, and I'll just tell you what it is, and then you can repeat it after me. I'll say it a second time. Maybe this morning you just want to say, Jesus, uh, I want to know you. I want you in my life. I want to surrender to you and follow you. So I'm going to just say those little phrases again, and maybe that expresses your heart. And maybe this morning you need to say that to him. Maybe this has been brewing and building in your life for decades. You've never quite said it. So this morning, maybe this is the time. So just quietly, you might like to say, Jesus, I want to know you this morning. Jesus, I open my life to you this morning. Jesus, I ask you to come in and be part of my life. Jesus, I commit myself to following you now and always. Lord, if there are those amongst us who've asked you into their lives for the first time, I just pray that you'll graciously meet with them. I pray for each of us that you will flood our lives with your presence right now that this Easter Sunday will be a life-changing, life-giving experience of you. Amen.